welcome to Beyond Bechdel with me, Contrara, the podcast about film and feminism. This week we're going to be looking particularly at one film, which I've had so many conversations about recently I thought it deserved its own episode. Lady Macbeth was written by Alice Birch and directed by William Oldroyd, a BBC and BFI backed film that was released in 2017, starring Florence Pugh. Now, really, if you haven't seen it, it would be great if you stopped the podcast, immediately went and found it online, because I think you can watch it on Netflix at the moment, uh, at least in the UK. So what we have here are discussions I've had with Nick and with Becky Matthews on the relevance and importance of Lady Macbeth being made now, and it's full of spoilers so here's your warning and I've also intercut this with interviews with screenwriter Alice Birch and star Florence Pugh uh, because I was really interested to hear what they thought of the material they worked with and we'd love to know how Lady Macbeth resonates with you. Here's the episode, enjoy! could summarize that yeah so it was um you said it was based on a russian play uh lady macbeth of intense of something yeah <laughs> yeah sure. in which uh and it's uh, transferred into uh what appears to be mid 19th century victorian uh, britain somewhere in the northeast a sort of uh, uh an industrial a new a newly industrialized area um, and uh, she uh, is... The ma- titular Lady Macbeth. Yes, uh, the eponymous Lady Macbeth. She um, is married to a northern industrial man with a fairly unhappy relationship um, and has an affair with a local... I don't know what he, what he does. He's, a, he's, a, he's a basically a peasant of some description. He works for her husband. Yeah, he's, he's definitely of a lower social class to, to, to yes. her. Although once you sort of half suspect that she came from a lower social class originally. It's not really explained, but that, that sort of insinuated, I think. She, it says towards the end of the film that she was sold yeah. to be married. Um, and through a se- sequence of acts, she manages to kill various people, um, including her father-in-law, her husband... Her lover, he's not killed, but not directly by her, but he sort of is. He's and, on his way to jail, yeah. possibly to be yeah. hanged. And most, I think it's very important at this stage that we say we are ruining the plot yeah, of we this are, film. Of course. So if anyone wants to watch any of these films, when we start mentioning them, I would say stop the podcast, <laughs> go and watch the film, and then come back. Because mm. Lady Macbeth is a brilliant film, and we're going to ruin the plot yeah. from now on. Uh, and of course, most disturbingly, she she kills a child um, who is a potential heir to her fortune. Um, if she, in other words, if she doesn't kill him, then he will potentially inherit um, all her earnings. Of course, she's a very strong female character. He's the central part of the plot, and there's an obvious, um, uh, as you said, title bearing on Macbeth as the as the as the classic uh, Shakespearean character who um, kills his way to the top. It's there are lots and lots of reasons why this is such a good film. It only cost half a million to make and has at this date made three and a half million. 
um, which in terms of the big bo box office we were talking about earlier, uh, means nothing, but actually shows how wonderful a film you can make with a small budget mm. if you have the right script, a competent director and cinematographer, yeah. and a great cast. Yeah, very powerful, very powerful film. Mm. Um, and she's... Um, well, she's pretty evil. I mean, let's not yeah. kid ourselves. You, you, you sort of doubt it for the first part, part of the film where you think that she's being uh, beaten around a little bit, and she is, to be fair. But boy, does she get her revenge, uh, and then some. So um, Lady Macbeth is played by Florence Pugh, who is an English actress who is only in her early 20s, and she's playing a character who is 17, 18. And um, at the beginning of the film, you see her youth... And you see that she's been placed in a world where women don't have a lot of say. And then gradually, as the film unfolds, she becomes the most powerful, evil, dangerous character that anyone has seen within the film. And to be honest, without it as well. Um, as you mentioned, she kills a child. Uh, she, she goes to murder has an option to further her cause incredibly easily, but in a way that's still watchable and believable. Mm. She's definitely an anti-heroine. She is, and they, they throw her into this environment, um, highly male-dominated. It's mid-19th it's mid century, it's Victorian, also in the northeast of England, which is probably not, wouldn't have been the most enlightened part of the world back then anyway, um, and is really sort of stuck uh, as this, um... I, I think it's really good how they make her so bored. <laughs> there's there's no TV. There are, she doesn't seem to even have many books. She seems to her entire purpose is for her uh, her father-in-law keeps telling her that she just needs to have sex with her husband and basically produce an heir. Yeah, and her husband doesn't want to have sex with her. So there's this. Um, dynamic where we assume that maybe her husband is gay. And it later transpires that actually it wasn't a love match and they did just marry for business reasons and that he had had a child with another woman who, for all intents and purposes in the plot of the film, they were probably mm. more enamoured with each other. Yeah. Um, but it's very lustful. It shows a young woman in those times who wants to have pleasure and wants to have sex and yet I don't think the direction is offensive you see her naked body you see them having sex but it isn't in any way um where the camera lingers no, on her no, too I, much. I, I think you know it was it was uh, tastefully done shall we say um I think it, it, it's it's essentially the the the, her, the learning curve that she goes on in this film is quite intense. Um, she starts up such so innocent, really believing that uh, you know what her position is, but she, it doesn't take her long to sort of begin to transform. Um, and does she really transform into anything worse than what the male characters are? Aside from the from from these murders. I think she's still probably fundamentally more likeable than them anyway, I would suggest. That is testament to Florence Pugh and also to the direction, which is that she is doing some, frankly, heinous things all the way through the film. She has a maid. Um, I think it's important to note as well that there is a separate 
kind of underlying theme in Lady Macbeth about race. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So she has she she has a maid who is black and she treats her appallingly. So there's a, definitely some statements there about um, white people treating their black servants badly. Um, she is, yeah, is she is horrible to everybody she meets when they don't serve the purpose. But everybody's horrible to each other. Her husband just is, he's not even in the film for very long and yet he is established as a mean and cruel man to her who does not love her and won't even try. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess the sort of, the staple point of this is her descent in, in, little, in a way because the, the first two people that she kills, her, um, her father-in-law and, and her husband, you know, arguably sort of deserved it. They certainly weren't particularly nice. Whether they deserved to die is not a matter, but they, you don't really, you really don't feel sorry for them in the, in the context of the plot. I think that um, I like the way the father-in-law dies, mm. which is that's when you start to realise that this is a film that isn't going in the direction that other films of this nature mm. might do, which is that he's a very aggressive man and is horrible to her, and she, she answers back to some extent, but seems to be taking it in her stride, and then he leaves the room and then has this horrible off-screen death where you can hear him choking, and what I think really cements Lady Macbeth as yeah, one of whilst, the classic evil she eats, characters. While she eats eggs, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. She's eating food, she's drinking tea, and she's not... Like, you know, there is no sweat raised. She's no, perfectly no, calm. No. And I think that that's such a good thing to have on screen. Obviously, not for someone to be that evil, evil but for a young girl who isn't in a horror film. And you, and you root for her as well. At that point, you definitely do. At that do. point. And then as time goes on, so she has this lover and he's also... Um, Possibly black, possibly mixed race. Look mixed race, he, didn't he? he yeah. yeah, he definitely is is not supposed to look like her husband. Um, and they have this very passionate sexual affair. And I think it's great the way that they... That she talks about love. Because um, what I think she's having is lustful feelings. And she's been brought up in a society where women aren't supposed to have them. Mm. So if she's having these such strong, overwhelming feelings as a young adult um she automatically equates it with love when actually it's probably just teenage lust yeah and and in those days she's willing to she knows that they can't ordinarily be together she's married he's of a lower social class she doesn't have any control of the finances and her husband leaves for big periods of time and that's why this even happens. But she realises that she has to take some dastardly steps in order to get what she wants. And I think that that's a really good kind of anti-patriarchy message. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, about the lengths that a woman might take. You wouldn't, you don't see this in films ordinarily. No. In, in a period drama, which is effectively what this is. It's just set in a house and yeah. kind of in a field. But she, yeah, but it, she, eventually, of course, she does go too far, and I think this is this is the the, the point where you 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 do sort of wonder <laughs> where we're going with this, mm. and it's the point where she um she kills the child. Yeah, there are so many themes within the film. So you have the kind of misogyny and patriarchal society in which she grows up in. Then you have um, a society which doesn't make any allowances for her lustful 
sexual feelings and what she should do with them, which leads her to then, you know, exercise them in, in, in a way against society. Then you also have the fact that she is having this lustful relationship with a man who isn't of the same class or race as her. She badly treats her maid. And then suddenly you have this twist in the plot where after she has killed her husband in a much, much more brutal way yeah. with the assistance of her lover, yeah. um, uh, suddenly a woman turns up who is the grandma of a small child who is the most amazingly cute child actor I've ever seen. Yeah. He, he was so, that's, what made it, he, that's what made it so clever, so cruel, because he is not only a child, he's just this beautiful, yeah. innocent child who just wants to befriend Lady Poor lad. Macbeth, Poor lad. who turns out to be probably the rightful heir because um, she hasn't had her husband's child. And um, it turns out that he has had a um, relationship with a woman who's now died and he's made written uh, evidence that he is the father of the son and wants to provide for the son. And you don't know this, but there is the suggestion that this is what the husband wanted all along. Mm. And that's why maybe the father-in-law was forcing them to try and have a baby because maybe he was worried about this illegitimate concern but um anyway so um when this child comes along lady macbeth is screwed because she's like i have killed two people to get what i want which is my lover and me running this farm and then this sweet innocent child comes along and you see in both the characters her and her lover the the interplay between what they want and what they may need to do yeah in order to get it yeah yeah which is it it's just a natural progression for her in some ways in terms of in terms of the plot in, in that every everything that she does each step each step that she takes is a little bit worse is a little bit worse <laughs> um, a bit more now, you, now usually usually in those kind of films eventually you do come a cropper um, because you, you just go too far um, and, and indeed like Macbeth you eventually just go too far um, I, I, I think Ultimately, what I find fascinating about the film is, is they, she is, of course, a highly disenfranchised character at the start of the film, just from a societal point of view, and manages to, and manages to achieve this against, you know, against the run of play. But in order to do it, she does have to do some pretty dastardly things. So you are kind of led in this sort of pathway, this dichotomy of, well, you know, society did treat her badly, um, but she, she, she doesn't really have the... You know, the backing here, yet, so you don't begrudge her achieving these things, you just begrudge the means that she has to go to to achieve it. Exactly. And when she does kill the child after the lover has failed to do so, and again, I think that, that that's an important distinction is made between what you usually see on screen in terms of what a woman character and what a man character will do you wouldn't you may have a female character like the original Shakespearean Lady Macbeth who whispers things into her uh, husband's ear and he does the majority of the bad deeds but here it's the man who can't complete the job and so she quite mercilessly um, strangles and suffocates the poor child yeah and it's frankly horrendous even though when it happens you're not surprised yeah because you have watched this character you, you can disintegrate. see you can see it coming i i, I think I, I i it did surprise me that her lover was prepared to go to that actually i mean i i thought he of course he does eventually sort of 
come clean. But um, again, that's a, that's a play on. I think if you had it normally, you'd have a man and you'd have the woman. You you have this in a lot of real life crime, don't you? Where you have a female accomplice mm. who doesn't really want to do the things, but is kind of forced into it. Yeah. And I think that's what the reversal happens here, which is the male lover, perhaps because he has been disenfranchised by his class situation and economic situation, helps her. And just does what he's told. Yeah. And then feels absolutely awful afterwards. And um, then, there's, then there's a great ending. We've ruined this entire film. But um, hopefully you've seen it first. Um, because it is fantastic. He comes in at the end after the child is dead. And basically says, it was you! And says that she killed um, the husband, the father and the child. And then... As probably may well have happened in cases at this time, she says, no, it's my word against yours. No one's going to believe you. You're just a lowly person and mm. I'm the lady of the manor. Yeah. Um, and everyone believes her. I don't know if they do actually believe her, but society, the same societal rules that disenfranchised her at the beginning of the film, save her at the end. And she blames it on her lover and the maid. Yeah. The maid has become mute at this time. And the maid could have, in a very uh, similar way to get out, Anna the maid, I think she's called Anna, um, has the opportunity to say something. But she is so frightened by what she has seen and what it might mean for her that she cannot get any words out yeah. and she writes her own death warrant yeah. and then the film ends you find out she's pregnant Lady Macbeth and the film ends with Anna and the lover probably going off to their deaths probably being hanged um, and uh, Lady Macbeth sits there and she actually has kind of what she wants well, it's difficult to say because it's not clear to me exactly what she did want to start with because her motives change. She starts out really um, wanting passion and a relationship. Then she sort of wants to run the manor, but she wants to run it with her lover. Um, because she's found passion yes, with him. But, the, the, but then, of course, she gives all that up in the end. Um, well... In, in an act to a certain extent of self-defense, because because if she doesn't do that, then she could well face the gallows. Um, but one wonders at the end whether whether she is happy, whether she's achieved her goals there, or whether she's just gone too far and is now going to sit alone in this house, which is kind of what, what I was thinking. It's a baptism of fire because she's, yeah, all on her own. Probably the servants all hate her because I think you see at the end a couple of the servants running off, I think, because they know that Anna's been... Yeah. Um, you know, uh, accused of, uh, had responsibility for this crime. Um, so she has no one and she has this unborn child, probably her lover's child, because we know from the film that her husband never has sex with her. Um, and she has to live with everything. I think it's a fair ending. I just think it's such a clever ending because... She doesn't get her comeuppance in the usual sense. And that is a statement in itself about society and how it treats people mm. of different classes or lack of financial means. But at the same time, you, you have a female character and you can't help but think she has empowered herself. Well, she definitely has. Um, the fact that she had to go to criminal means to do it is another, is another matter. But um, which is, I, I think, I, I mean... The, there are so many barriers here. I, I, I think that there is um, 
there is a class barrier, there is a gender barrier. I would argue, I, I, I think there's some sort of strange thing going on with race in this film. because the, Because the, 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 the non-white characters, whether they be mixed race or black, for the most part are slightly more morally upstanding than the white characters. Yeah. Um, I almost represent that kind of... Uh, that, 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 that morality standard. Um, the the lover who we couldn't really decide, but we, we felt that he was probably the intention was for him to appear mixed race in any event, is sort of torn between the two. And I'd like to think in my mind that the good side of him is the black side and the bad side is the white side. <laughs> I, well, I don't I don't think it I don't think it matters. But I think in in the same way that it's important that you show that women on film have the range of emotions and, yeah. can, and can carry out the range of, um, you know, negative as well as positive actions. It's also important to have people of colour on screen being shown to be morally superior when mm. there have been so many years worth of racist films yeah. that have showed anyone who is not the norm, white Caucasian, yeah. as being the bad guy. Yeah. So that... Yeah, it's it's such a su- such a fascinating portrayal of something of its time, but then also of the twenty first century. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that there are there are facets of it clearly intended to be vaguely historically accurate in terms of the portrayal of, of a patriarchal society, but then there are other elements of it which I think are deliberate subversions, about, and I think race is the obvious one. I actually think this is a film more about race than it is about, about women. Um, um, I still think the black female character gets the shorter shrift. She does, but she, her, her, she, she, is, she, her, she has a good moral compass. Now, she gets, well, what we believe to be you know, ultimately hung for that particular... Um, but I don't think it's even a moral compass. I think it's a statement on, in exactly the way that Get Out highlights this, it's a statement of the person as the um, depiction of society. Mm. She is silence. She does not have a voice. And in this film, they yeah, literally yeah. take That's away a good point. her voice. That's a good point. That's a good point. She, she is offered, at one point, She she's definitely... Uh, an olive branch is definitely offered to her and she can definitely personally benefit from this but either chooses not to or is frightened into not accepting it one or the other and obviously pays for that with her life um but yeah. she's such a lovely character and i think the actress who plays her who i don't know her name of by heart did a really really mm. good job i'm not entirely sure that the film passes the Bechdel test um I, there might be the odd conversation about maybe um, Lady Macbeth asking Anna for a cup of tea kind of thing. But I think that this is where, you know, you would go to your point that you usually say when we discuss the Bechdel test, which is it's an outdated test, do we need it? Because yeah. there are there are lots of women on the screen here and they're even fulfilling societal roles of a long time ago. Yeah. And yet they're still an incredibly powerful force on the screen. Well, it's always it's always it's always strong uh, when you witness if you if you're witnessing a society which you know to have um, just sexism built into it, as Victorian society would have done, um, to witness a strong female character doing those things and effectively subverting all that, then uh, yes, it's always powerful and always a good thing to see. 
Do you want to talk about what you said off mic about the initial scene as well? Because I think you had a really good insight. So the first scene is where they're singing at their wedding. The very yeah. first image I, is of Lady Macbeth with a yeah, veil on yeah. singing at her wedding. Yeah, I, I, this is just a little personal theory of mine, of course. Um, but it is the very first scene in the film. And it's, it's the scene with, um, as you say, with um, the two of them getting married. You don't actually see the husband in the scene. You just see her in a veil. And they're singing, and he is—he's uh, going a bit overboard, uh, singing rather loudly. She just can't seem to get the, her song out, and he's getting a bit frustrated, and then sort of sort of glares over at him. And in that singular moment, I think in the context of the film, you, you could almost read well, he might just pay for that with his life, although although you don't suspect that at that point. Um, I think what you I, actually... I think I think I think what at the end of the film, having watched it, you think, wow, that, that it, it actually might just lead back to that that, that original song. And this this all might just be about someone singing over somebody else at a wedding ceremony. Well, I think didn't you also say as well that you, that you were like I thought you were saying said so that, but I thought that you were saying you could see even at that moment mm. how she was treated as less so. She couldn't even have her voice at the same level she had to have the men because you can hear her father-in-law's voice as well and they are both singing over her she doesn't like it though does she i mean she very much it's not it's not much more than a look but it's a look of of daggers isn't it and 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 (laughs) but it's a strange thing i mean you know if you and i were to start singing one of us would sing louder probably you because you're a better singer than me would i would i suddenly be offended by that i don't know I, th- I think it's a representation of sexism in Victorian Britain. I'm not sure that that entirely holds up. I just like that concept. Though. Well, I also think that it's very nice of you to say so, but I think that in most conversations, men usually have the louder voices and will talk over women. doesn't happen in this podcast. Normally I talk over my guests. Yeah, I know. Like that. <laughs> it won't end unless you let it. For those of you who are interested in the writing side of things, here are a few extracts from an interview that screenwriter Alice Birch gave to BAFTA just about Lady Macbeth. Uh, This first question is her answering how she got on board with the project. Well, I'd I'd read the book years ago at university and had had just been really struck by that central character because she's so horrible. (laughs) <laughs> and complicated and like all the things that guys get to do on screen all the time. So I just I don't know, I just thought about it, but as you know, as I said earlier, there was no Eureka moment. I just thought oh, she's interesting. My background is completely in theatre, so I wasn't looking to make a film. I like films, I was interested in the kind of craft of what that might be, but I didn't feel like burning desire to do it, to be honest. Um and then my agent set a sort of set up a meeting with this director, Will, who'd read some of my plays, and he was like, you know, should we have a go? And I gave him the book, um, and he really liked it. And then we applied to Eye Features, which is this scheme, so that sort of like really holds your hand the whole way through writing the film, which again is completely different to my normal process, which is very much, you know, me on my own, don't want to talk to anyone, going to do it myself and then hand it over. But yeah, this was much more collaborative. This is what she had to say about her process and developing these really interesting characters. 
I mean, I think it's sort of different for every project and you just get instincts about what's the right thing to lead. And that's sort of, you know, I, I don't really know how to explain that any better. But with Lady Macbeth, in the book, she's not very... She's certainly not very likeable, but she's also not that easy to empathise with and she does some pretty awful things. So that felt like the first thing to do. To, and also, I think when you're working with source material, you, if you're going to adapt it, you need to reclaim it. So... I did. I spent quite a long time, um, you know, asking asking these characters hundreds of questions and building timelines and sort of thinking about what details and what what food they liked and what you know what they were to bed and how often they have sex and you know sort of really getting to know them as well as I could before writing. And finally, Alice talks about the rules that she uses to create a world that isn't the same as your usual period drama? We knew we wanted to make a period film that didn't feel like a traditional period film. We didn't want those kind of big sweeping exterior shots or those ballroom scenes or, you know, lots of extras clearly not playing real people in the background. So that that was useful. So we sort of wanted to make a very austere, like, thriller with a much smaller cast of characters, and that felt exciting as a beginning for a period drama. So making, making those rules from the beginning was, was really good. My father bought you along with a piece of land not fit enough for a cow to graze upon. You will remain indoors with your prayer book. I like the fresh air. I like being outside. Take it off. Here's what Florence Pugh herself thought about playing Lady Macbeth. We're so used to seeing period films where it's the man who's married and has affairs with every single maid in the house. Right. This time, it's her who's <laughs> yeah. and is having an affair with a stable We're boy. We're flipping it, yeah. And that's big, been the biggest shock is like people, they don't understand, but that's so scandalous. And it's like, yeah, we've seen that story loads of times. We've just swapped the roles. Um, that's something that made, every, you know, that, that's why so many people were drawn to this film was because of her, is because of what, what a force she is, whether she's a feminist or she's <clears> part of that feminist movement. Um, she just basically takes whatever she wants and she doesn't really care. We did it so that we could be together here. You did it for us. We did it. And now here's a segment that didn't make it into the episode with Becky Matthews. Uh, we uh, profess our mutual love for Lady Macbeth and talk about how important it is for film makers, particularly women. Lady Macbeth. Is I was just going to bring up Lady oh, Macbeth. I've got a whole other episode of the podcast oh, where I just you? rave about. Oh, I'm going to add that raving. <laughs> I mean, Florence Pugh is excellent. I loved her in the, yeah. the Falling um, Carol Morley's film from a few years ago. Was excellent, and she played a supporting role, and that wasn't very well known. She's only young as well. I think she's like in her early 20s. Yeah. And that's and that's an incredible and actually that's an interesting topic. Talk, if we go um Lady Macbeth, that's why I'm going on to all these no, things. Okay. Lady Macbeth I think is so good on for so many levels because it's all it's also a female anti-hero. Yeah. You know, it's someone who is you're just like I mean the clues in the title obviously it's not literally about Lady Macbeth, but she's a Lady Macbeth-esque character. Yeah. And you're like what, is she really going to do that? Oh, no, yeah, yeah, she's doing that, okay. That's not okay, but it's still something yeah. 
incredible about allowing a woman to be bad and not bad in a oh, I'm such a villain you know yes. it's, it's nuanced and you yeah. can you know, a she's in a terrible in position um, as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the, that's the beauty of it, definitely. And there are all sorts of characters like Anna the Maid. There's a whole race oh, Anna's, section Anna's as well. Yeah. It's, it's such a brilliant film because it's not set in London. It's set in a very particular time period. They didn't mm. spend that much time on it. it. It plays this really clever game with race, which actually might have been more more of what the truth is, but we seem to have whitewashed yes. history. But there's a really brilliant scene for me that that personifies Lady Macbeth, which is where someone something bad is happening to somebody off screen and you can oh hear God. the struggling oh, yes. and she sits down and she just has a cup Sit of tea. tea. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, that, that is my theme. I was like, this is chilling my blood. Yeah. Like, it's so... How to play that without pissing yourself laughing? I know, and I bet they did. I bet they had to do several takes. Yeah, yeah the noise. And actually, I've the sound I've never seen design, anything like that. Yes, sorry. The sound design in that film is absolutely incredible. I, I need to see. I quite. I think it might make... I haven't seen that film, but I think it would make a good companion piece with the Andrea Arnold version of Wuthering Heights. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I think that, that you know, because I think Andrea Arnold likes to use no score. I think it was a wild track and like, and that's yes. what's... So, the, There's a lot of like uh, through the, yeah, wind whistling through the And the house is terrible. Is. The house is like this yeah. properly kind of old yeah. gothic built where, you know, the, the, the shutters are slamming shut with the wind yeah. and it's it's set in Northumberland, so it's not the Yorkshire yeah. Moors, but it has that Moors-esque kind of, it, you know, the wind is passing through and it's so isolated. Like, it's so bleak. Like, her she has an existence she doesn't have a life she's so bored she's, she's most owned, of she's the way and she's owned but and it's actually quite an interesting comment on what a woman will do through sheer frustration and yes. actually um, another <laughs> film that I loved I mean I, I'm a massive Alice Lowe fan anyway and I um, was a huge fan of um, Sightseers and Prevent but Sightseers like the character of Tina was particularly interesting because it's against a two-hander, it's a man and a woman and they're both doing terrible yeah. things but her motivation was really bizarre because it's like, she's just really bored she's not like, she's just out of nowhere going on this killing spree and that's not really a spot, that's the other yeah. whole plot is like, yeah. Well that's also um, co-wrote by or wrote or co-wrote by Amy Jump who is Ben Wheatley's wife and who wife, doesn't yeah. do any press going back she, to Stephen Sonnenberg She doesn't Sonnenberg. want to, she doesn't have to and I'm like, if you can get away with it, that's brilliant I think that's fine but we're, we're, we're going into and I think we should eventually talk about the Vectors yes. Welcome to the podcast yeah. I just want to quickly say this and it's controversial but I think it would be really interesting to hear mm. your take on it Yeah. Does Amy Jump owe us a bigger public profile because she's doing amazing work yeah. and she could be an inspiration she already is an inspiration yeah. to me but Ben Wheatley has to do all the work for that I got into a conversation me and Amanda Keats another writer we had this long conversation with Ben Wheatley over Twitter and oh, he was amazing really? yeah because she and um, Amanda has a um like a, a, I don't know, like a website, and uh, her thing is 52 films by women. So last year she just made oh. sure she she had something that was written or directed, and then when we saw some of that, we were having a conversation about you know how um, female directors aren't or writers are not being put out there enough because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's part of what we talked about before. Absolutely. And um, he came in, and then and then we were trying to get him to get Amy to speak to us, and he was brilliant. And I have you know only good things to say about Ben Wheatley, except some of his films are like way too gory. Uh, my yeah, own personal no, I, opinion. I have same problem yeah but, but Amy might have written that so who's she probably say? did yeah but he was like no she doesn't do it I'm the mouthpiece that's how she wants it now she is yeah. allowed that I do not want to go around telling people what they can and can't do but I also feel like there might be a little missed opportunity for someone who's so successful and could be helping others it's an awful position yeah. to put someone in do you think I'm 
out of order no, by not having at all. that. I think I do personally feel that whatever stance someone takes over their own career is their business. Yeah. It's a dip, but it is, I get where you're coming from because it's so difficult because it's already quite hard for women. And it's not like anyone's saying, you're a female, so you owe other women. I don't think anyone's really saying that, but it does, it's such a great opportunity. And it's not like by doing that, Amy Jobs pulling up the ladder behind her. But it is so difficult because, and that's why Ben Wheatley probably keeps saying she doesn't want to do the press. It's not me going silence on the, you know. No, you no, speak. I never thought that for no, a second. No, I know second. you don't. And, I, it's I, her and some people decision. might might view it that way, and I'm yeah. sure they don't. But they, he's always, you know, her name always comes up alongside his. You know, it's, um, does she edit with him as well? Yeah, I think she's. And he is it's always he is a so partnership from the beginning, yes. like, and that's from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I find that really fascinating. And he, I think, is really a good example to indie filmmakers because he came out... He, I mean, he's a commercials director for, for, to begin with, so he already had a directing career. But yeah. I think he made his first... I think it was Down Terrace he made for about nine grand. I mean, like, not zero money. And in, in a very similar way to sort of how Shane Meadows operates. And I think those people are really inspiring just just from an indie filmmaker, you know, regardless of gender. But to come back to the Amy Jump point, yeah. I think it, I think it's a shame because I think she, I would, if she had thoughts on screenwriting, I would love to hear them. I don't oh, know if she yes. does things. I don't know whether she just does no appearances or whether she does like you know guest lectures at places. As or, far as I'm aware, she does nothing. Because that, that would be, might be my yeah uninitiated stuff. But then, but then actually, because I think her opinion is, I think it's just a, I think for her it's not not about anyone but other than herself. I think she's, she's like incredibly shy. Well, and oh, actually, speaking, writers are generally quite awkward people, and I'm, <laughs> I'm saying that from my own. But I hate public speaking. I know I'm sort of. But we're having a conversation. And it'll be public at a later date when you're not there, yeah, exactly. shouting oh, out to the yeah. crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they won't be there watching me, and that's very different to doing press. And yeah. I, I think, I think he said that she, he said she said that the, she feels the work should speak for itself, and that's. But also, that's quite a luxurious position to take because if Ben Wheatley didn't have the profile that he did, if he didn't want to do any press, what, what, he probably has to because he's director. So. Well, also, if you didn't know, if you do no press, then why should anyone care about your work? It's a bit of a so. Yeah. I, I, but I think it's an artistic decision. Yes, and, and you know, that, and that's fine. And I think if that's her decision, that's how she feels. Then that's fine. I do think it's a shame because I think she probably has things to say that we would really benefit from and especially people like us female writers who are like how does it work but I think the difficulty is and I think some of the problem is though I go to a lot of events and panels where there are women writers and screenwriters but so often the conversations are you you just get the edited highlights reel of what went well for them and that's great but there's two things that don't work with that one is hey there's no formula there's if you do this you will get to this to do this so much of it is luck and happenstance and like old adage it's who you know yeah that's so true and then there's the also what you're not seeing is the failures and the, and the rejections and the missed opportunities i'd rather stop you breathing than have you doubt how i feel so that was lady macbeth directed by william oldroyd starring florence Pugh, and we highly recommend that you watch it it's a really, really good film. Yeah, very, uh, very dark, but well worth a watch. And now for its thrilling soundtrack to play us out, Lady Macbeth, we salute you. <laughs> 